Welcome to episode 241 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, my guest is Zarina Fleming. Zarina is working to share more stories of female Marines in her new podcast, The Green Logbook, which is focused on sharing the stories of amazing female Marines. Zarina is currently serving in the Marine Corps, and she is a mom of two, married to a Marine, and works as an admin. But that's only part of her story. She also shared about being part of the experiment in 2015 to see if women could serve in combat roles by completing Assault Amphibious Vehicle School at Camp Pendleton in California, and she also reported to the Ground Combat Element Integrated Task Force in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, where she served as the AAV Crew Chief in support of an experiment to transition women into combat arms, MOSs. I'm really excited to share her story this week on the podcast. Before we get started with this week's interview, I want to remind you that you have the opportunity to listen to Women of the Military podcast now on Reese Across America Radio twice a week. That's Fridays at 7 p.m. Eastern and Saturdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. And you can listen on iHeartRadio, the TuneIn app, or Odyssey. Welcome to Women of the Military Podcast. I'm so excited to have Zarina here. She is a fellow podcast host. She's starting a new podcast, and I'm excited for her because I got to talk to her as she was working on it, and now I get to hear her story. So thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Amanda. Um, I'm so excited and honored that um, I'm able to be a guest on your podcast, so thanks a lot. So let's start with why did you decide to join the Marine Corps? Basically out of convenience. So I immigrated, my family immigrated to the U.S. back in 2002 and I graduated high school. College was kind of expensive because at that time I was still an international student. So I knew I needed to do something different. I spoke to an army recruiter. I basically talked to everyone. The Air Force had a year waiting list. That's where I wanted to go. I talked to the Navy and the Marine Corps recruiter just kind of convinced me and um, I shipped a few months later. So you were thinking about Air Force, but they had a year-long wait list. That's a long time to wait. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I had high enough scores too. So um you know, the recruiter never really called me back. I kept checking on him. So understandable, but I'm happy with my decision. So it worked out for the best. And what was it about the Marine Corps? Because that's very different than the Air Force that kind of drew you in. So I think the recruiter was just very blunt. He told me, you know, it's going to be tough. And I think everyone else was trying to convince me. Well, besides the Air Force, the Army was trying to convince me and sell me. And the Marine recruiter was just straight up. And he said, hey, it's going to be tough. But, you know, when you earn the title Marine, it's going to be very fulfilling. And when you earn that title, was it? Absolutely. Yes. Especially as a woman in the Marine Corps, you know, you get double takes when you tell people, yeah, I'm in the Marine Corps. They're like, holy cow, that's crazy. Yeah, definitely fulfilling. It's a lot of fun. What year was it when you enlisted into the Marine Corps? So I came in, I went to boot camp December 2007. I got injured. So I didn't graduate until that summer, about May. So I was in boot camp for about five or six months. And graduated in May, ended up going to my MOS school, and then heading to my first duty station, which was Camp Fuji, Japan. Oh, wow. Well, we'll get to Japan in a little bit. But first, I want to talk about, like, what that experience was like. You said you got injured, so you kind of got, like, on, like, what, recovery status, and then eventually were able to finish. So what was that like? 
So, they, well, back then, I don't know if it's the same today, um, the platoon was called Female Readiness Platoon. So once you were injured, you went to a rehabilitation platoon where you had time to heal, to attend all your doctor's appointments. And then once you were cleared, you had um, like a step-up plan to start running. So it's not like, well, when I was injured, you know, you're kind of sitting around. Um, they send you out to do different things around the base. I worked at dental for a while, just checking in other recruits. But once I was able to start working out gradually, um, you go from a walk to a running plan. And then once you're able to run three miles, then that's how you, you pass your three mile test and then you go back to your training platoon. So while you were in that like casual status, you were working at different places that needed people around the base and then also working on your fitness and healing. Right, right. That's an interesting experience because you kind of got a taste of being in the Marine Corps in a different way. And then you actually, and then you went back to basic training. So that's kind of interesting. Right. Yeah, it was, I, I guess you, I worked a little bit independently. So it was just me. There was another male drill instructor that was like my supervisor. So I would just check recruits in and out. I would go there first thing in the morning and then leave at dinner time. That's really interesting. So you did that and then you went back in and what was the last finishing up basic training like? So it was, I, I got injured right before, I think it was training day 60. Um, and then the Marine Corps, the crucible is the final evolution of becoming a Marine. You go through the crucible and once you you're done with that exercise, you're a Marine. So I got dropped two days before we stepped out for the crucible. So I was right at the end. It was really devastating, but you know, I was injured. So jumping in, I knew I only had two weeks until graduation. So yeah, it was pretty simple. I was already, you know, accustomed to everything. It's not like I was starting at the beginning. Did you feel like connected? Because it seems like the rest of the people when you jump back in had been together for, you know, all that time for that six weeks and then you jumped in was it like an easy transition to go through the end of your training not having been part of the same training with the recruits like you had gone through it but at a different time right so it was pretty easy um to jump in the platoon there was actually another another marine who won't well, marine now who her and i were injured and we got placed in the same platoon at the same time so i had her but it was pretty easy to jump right into the platoon. That's good. And was it segregated males and females or were you guys integrated together? So we were an all-female platoon. Because the Marine Corps, is, they're working on that now, right? They are, yes. Yeah. So um, I don't know if you've heard or not, but June 15th, they are disbanding 4th Battalion. And 4th Battalion was where primarily all-female Marines were trained. Back when I went through, we would train with the, the males, but we were more so side-by-side. Side. You would see them when we were doing our, you know, training exercises, but we were not integrated. Yeah, I think it's interesting to learn the history of, like, how it's changed. And I thought that you guys were already integrated together. I didn't realize it was still, like, segregated. And then someone just told me, and they were like, Aren't, isn't the Marine Corps finally integrating? And I was like, I thought they did that. So that's really, it's just so interesting to hear how, like, things continue to change and evolve even today. Right, right, for sure. And like you said, we've been we've been integrating since about 2014. So I think this is the last thing, right? Fourth Battalion was known as all females. So with the disbanding, it just shows like we're fully integrated. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah, when the person said it, they were like, it's brand new. And I was like, are you sure? I thought they were doing it already. Right, yeah, yeah. But it's good to take your time and, you know, make sure there's no 
you know, problems and they have to go back, they wouldn't want to shut it down and then have to reopen it. So it sounds like the integration, it took a lot of time, but they probably had lots of steps they needed to go through to get to where they are today. So you graduated and then you went to what do you, the Marine Corps calls it, not AIT or tech school. What do you call it? We call it MOS school. Uh, wow. MOS school. Right. So I went to Camp Johnson in North Carolina. So I was shipped from boot camp from Georgia. So graduated, went to Camp Johnson in South um, North Carolina. I was there for about eight weeks, eight or 10 weeks. Um, then I received orders to my first duty station. So I'm an administrator by trade. So that's what I do. And then you said you went to Japan for your first assignment. I did. Camp Fuji, Japan, um, about two hours away from Tokyo. <laughs> so it was a good time. My brother happened to be stationed there as well. So um, I had family there and we had a lot of fun traveling. That's really cool. And where are you from? You said you immigrated to the United States in 2002. So what country did you come from? So I came from Zambia. It's a Central African country, landlocked. Um, what was the difference? Like, I mean, it must have been a culture shock to come from Africa to the United States and then from United States to Japan. Like, that's a lot of different cultures. Right. So coming from Africa, my family back home was considered wealthy, right? I had, and I didn't realize it when I came to America. So we had a driver, we had a chef, we had, you know, someone to do our laundry, we had a maid. So when we came to America, it was my mom and my brother and sisters, there's four of us, we came to a one bedroom apartment, right? My mom talks about the American dream and you're going to be successful. And I'm over here like, what American dream? You know, because we had a really great life and we didn't realize it. But as we graduated high school, we saw just the opportunities that were available to us here. Back home is really slower paced. Um, people take time to, you know, sit down and have a meal with family. America is very hustle culture is, is how I say. It's always go, 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 make your money. You know, don't stop. Yeah, I think it's something that Americans are trying to overcome. Like, there's always this push to, like, do more, be more. And instead, like, I'm trying to focus on, like, being satisfied with where I am today and not, like, always feel that I have to do more because there is this, like, intense pressure to, like, do more and it's never good enough. And I think that you can always be chasing, you know, you can always do more things. You can always push yourself to go farther. And, like, when is it going to be enough? Instead, we should stop, celebrate what we've accomplished. And if we want to move forward, we can, but you can also stay exactly where you are and you don't have to, you don't have to follow someone else's dream. You can just follow your own dream. Exactly. And just be happy with where you are and enjoy the experience of, you know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be better, but enjoying the journey along the way is important. I yeah. So then you had been in the American culture and then you went to Japan. What is Japanese culture like? compared to America? Japan was amazing. Japanese people are very respectful of other people's space. Um, and it just really hit me. We were on the train going from Camp Fuji to Tokyo, and it was dead silent. Everyone has their headphones in or people have books. And as soon as you get off the train, it gets loud again. So anytime you're in a confined space, people are just quiet. And, and I really, really like that about Japanese culture. I remember I was in Gotemba, but I remember going up to Kyoto to see one of the temples and there was a bunch of children that like ran up to me and grabbed me and they took me to this little old lady 
And she was like touching my skin, my hair. She she had never seen a black person before. And you know, I'm five ten. I'm pretty tall. So that was a pretty really cool experience. I'm like, holy cow! Like, do I just sit here and not move? But it was it was really interesting. They were really nice. That's really cool. Yeah, it sounds like you got to do a lot and see a lot, and you had yours your brother there, so you had like someone that you could travel around with and. Just a cool experience. And how long were you there? So I was only there for a year. It's a year on a company tour for Marines. Okay. And then do you want to, is there anything that happened while you were there besides like traveling and getting to learn your job that you want to talk about before we dive into where you went next? Not really. I didn't meet my husband there. We just became really good friends. Um, we got married later on, but that's initially where I met him. And then... I'm guessing you guys didn't get there at the same time. So, like, did you get there first or he was already there? Like, what? how did that all work? So, he he was already there and him and my brother were friends and him and my roommate were best friends. So, I would see him all the time. We would hang out in groups, but we never really started talking or got serious until closer to him leaving. And then we just kept talking. And when I came back to the States, that's when we kind of got serious. And so, when you left Japan, where did you go? So, I went to Fort Lee, Virginia um small what is it the quartermaster school there um as the admin clerk so i was there for another year i've moved around a lot in the marine corps but that duty station was very plain jane um there was not a lot to do in fort lee right side of petersburg i would spend a lot of time in quantico which was about two and a half three hours away my brother was stationed in quantico so we we spent a lot of time together when I was in Virginia. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You were in, like, the middle of nowhere, Virginia. <laughs> Where Quantico is pretty close to D.C. and there's lots of stuff to do around there. That makes a lot of sense. And so you were only there for a year, and then it was on to time to move. Where did you go next? So we went to Camp Pendleton. So while I came back to the States, we got married. My husband and I got married in November. So he was stationed in California. And I was stationed in Virginia. Um, we got married, and then I put in a request to establish a joint household. So after a year, I went to Camp Pendleton, where he was stationed. So you got to go to California and be with him, which is always nice. Yes. Kind of tough when you're younger in the Marine Corps, but um, or in the military in general. But um, yeah, we were lucky that we were able to be stationed together. Yeah, I I think people don't understand that, like, if you're dual military getting stationed together is a gift and like it's not something that always happens and there's always often a lot of work done either by the member or their leadership to make it all happen like there's paperwork you have to file and there's different things and your career builds have to line up it it is really complicated to get stationed together absolutely yeah and even when you are stationed together there's a lot of you know deployments TAD so you may in the same place but you know you're constantly gone as you probably know right you're you're in the state but you're still gone a lot yeah my husband and I were like rotating doors like we lived in the same house but we never saw each other because like he would leave and then I would leave and then we'd be like high five let's see you later so how long were you in Camp Pendleton so I was there let's see we were there for a year and a half we got there in December 2010, and we left in July of 12, and then we we came to North Carolina. We came to North Carolina, and a lot happened. I deployed. We had a baby. Yeah, North Carolina was busy. 
Okay, so let's talk about your deployment. Where did you go? You were doing admin stuff, so I was going to say, what were you doing? Were you doing admin stuff? I was, <laughs> yes, yes. So I had my son in September of 2012, and then I deployed in July of 2013. And looking back now, I didn't really have to deploy, but it was a time where there was another Marine. You know, I was a corporal at the time in E4, so I was fairly young. And they needed someone else to go. And I was the next person to go. And, and back then, you just don't really, or at least for me, I didn't really think I could fight it. I was like, okay, sure, we'll figure it out. My son was nine months old. I cried every day for that deployment. You know, it was, I, I grew a lot. It was, I learned a lot. I had really great leadership. But looking back now, I wish I would have just said, you know what, I don't need to deploy. I have a little baby at home. Yeah, that's before the laws changed because I had my son in 2013 and one of the like major decision point factors was that at the time the Air Force rule was six months after you gave birth, you had to be ready to deploy and there was a really high likelihood that I would deploy. Now they've changed that and all the branches, it's a year at home. And so that like, yeah. I think it's so hard for moms to have to leave. I think it's hard for any parent to have to leave, but especially if you're like a mom, it's even harder, especially if you're breastfeeding. That makes it really challenging because a lot of people want to breastfeed for up to a year and like you have to cut that short. And so, and then there's all the hormones. So it was tough. Yeah. Because I, I breastfed him before I got on the plane and you know, I got an infection. I wasn't really pumping. There was, I just didn't know to ask those questions about, you know, storing milk or sending milk. And back then it wasn't really popular. So yeah, it was, it was really tough, but um, yeah, looking back now, that's why I advocate for young Marines. A lot of, a lot of women who do have babies and are ready to get back right away. I'm like, you know what? It, it's really not worth it. You know, just spend this time and then you'll get another chance. And if you don't, you know, that doesn't mean you're not a good Marine or a good service member. It's it's just a time in our country where you don't really have an opportunity to deploy, like back in, you know, 2005, 6, 7. Yeah, yeah. The, it's definitely changed a lot. That makes a lot of sense. And the maternity leave has also been extended to be 12 weeks. And for me, it was six. I don't know if it was that for you. It was six for my first son, yes. <laughs> And then my son said it was 12. And it's like, yeah, this is kind of nice. Yeah. And they're even extending parental leave. Is is it 12 weeks? It's I know it's 12 weeks for the Air Force. I it is it was 12 for weeks for, I don't know if it's for all, but I know it's 12 weeks for us as well. I think it's for all DOD. I think that just changed. And I mean, it's, my husband got 10 days. And I'm like, it's so insane that it was like 10 days. And that was in 2016. I mean, it was 2013 as well, but my second son was born in 2015, end of 2015, and it was 10 days. And I was like, that's not really that much time. Exactly. Like, it's like you're recovering and you can't, you know, you can't really move around like 10 days. Just looking back, I'm like, we have made so much progress. Yeah, it's changed a lot for for families, for moms, for dads, and just to make it easier, especially because you're usually so far away from family that it makes it even harder because you're kind of on your own. So let's get back to your deployment. I know you said it was challenging, like you were crying every day, and, but you were getting through it. What were you doing while you were overseas? So I was, um, I'm an administrator, so we were responsible for making sure all the Marines on deck got paid. 
accountability, anytime people deployed, um, if anyone got injured, PCRs, we would coordinate flights to um, Germany for injuries. So basically all of the logistics in and out and ensuring proper pay was accounted for. And mail too. Yeah. Mail. <laughs> we get a lot of mail when they're deployed. So um, not necessarily like the Postal Marines, but we would be the ones to accept the mail and distribute and holiday season time deployed is wild. Well, and do you know about the 6888? They're making a movie about, they sorted, they're the black female battalion during World War II who sorted all the mail that got stuck in Europe. And they like, just, they had this whole system and I'm so excited Netflix is making a movie about it. And I got to write an article and see some of the pictures and it just looks amazing. And I'm really excited to hear more about their story because I only know like the surface level details and so I think it's cool that Hollywood is shining a light on that story. Yeah, that's cool. I've I've heard a little bit about them, but yeah, I saw that they're making a movie, so I'm I'm excited to see that as well. Yeah. It looks really cool. And the costumes, they just look amazing. I was like, that looks like the pictures. It's so perfect. So it should be great. I think sometimes when we think about deployment, a lot of people think about like people fighting on the front lines or, you know, we don't think about all the back-end support and like how important it is to have people doing all the paperwork getting paid that's so important for both the person overseas and the families that are left behind and like medical evacuations and and the mail morale mail was so important when i was overseas for sure yeah we don't really give a lot of well i'm not going to say give a lot of credit i think when people think of a deployment setting, they do just think of high tempo, you know, shooting guns or paving roads, but the support staff, you know, we, we worked really, really hard, especially that first bond. Like we would go in at four in the morning and sometimes not leave till 10, 11 o'clock at night, just to make sure everyone was accounted for and paid for properly. So yeah, it's, it's an important job that support personnel do out there. So when you came home from your deployment, how long were you gone? I was gone for seven months. So your son had turned one and he probably wasn't the same little baby that you left behind. So what was that transition like? So he was, yeah, he w when I left, he barely started crawling. Um, I come home, he's walking, you know, he's talking. He's, he's kind of still coming to me, but he's super attached to his dad. Like even to this day, um, most kids are like mom kids, but he's super attached to his which understandable, right? He spent that time with his dad, but it took a couple of days to just kind of get back comfortable and in the zone. But um, yeah, I think I just picked right back up. That's awesome. And then you said you had another baby. Was that in North Carolina or did you guys move before you had another? Came back from deployment. I did the experiment. We went back to California. I got pregnant there and then we PCS back to North Carolina and I had my son here. Okay. So yeah, we've we've moved around a lot. Yeah, you have lots of different experience and dual military. Yes. Your husband's still in? Yes, he is. Yes. He's actually TAD right now. He's been gone for eight weeks. Um yeah, it's just hard. And we're getting ready to move again to Japan. So it's it's been a lot, but um pr pretty interesting and we're still excited, so still having fun. You're such a, you're, you've got to be so busy. You're a mom, you're a service member, and now you're starting a podcast. Like, how do you sleep? 
<laughs> everyone always says that. And I think for me, before I had kids, so I had my kids pretty late. I was, I guess, later than the average, you know, Marine. Most people have their kids younger. I was 25 when I had my first son. And when I had him, you know, I'm doing school, I'm working, I'm coming home, house clean. And I was like, I don't remember what it was like before I had kids because I didn't really do anything. So I don't know if that's just being a mom and you just want to accomplish so many things. But um, I tried to stay busy just because it's hard to it's hard to stop. There's always something that needs to be done. Yeah. And I found that like I can get so much done in five minutes. Like you give me five minutes and I have a task, you know, that I need to get done. It's like, okay, I'll get that done, that done, that done. And then it's like on to and like I take those like five, 15 minute, you know, blocks of time and I cram them full of stuff so that I can get all my work done because I know that I have a lot of other stuff that I need to do. And so I, I understand that. And I do think back to like when I didn't have kids, I thought I was so busy and I had so much time, <laughs> so much time. Yeah. And I think too, I think you're more productive because you do want to spend that quality time with your kids. So like you said, you know, give me five, 10 minutes and I'll do what I need to do because when I go home, I want to be able to be engaged with my family and not have to worry about work or school or whatever the case is. Yeah. So is there anything else from your time in the military so far that you wanted to talk about before we start talking about why your mission and your goal with your new podcast? So the only thing I want to talk about is um, back in 2015, as you know, part of integration, I participated in an experiment where um, it was called the Ground Combat Element Integrated Task Force. And it was where female Marines volunteered to basically see if they could compete in combat MOSs. So we volunteered. I was in 1833, an Amtracker. Probably the best and the worst time I've had in the Marine Corps. Just, just because, you know, we're part of history. We kind of paved the way. We showed that we could do, you know, that MOS. And, and the worst, just because a lot of people wanted to see us fail. So that's something that a lot of people still don't know about to this day. But, um, you know, it makes me proud when I go down to the ramp and I see little young Marines who are in the MOS, female Marines specifically. And I'm like, holy cow, like, you know, that, that experiment that I did kind of paved the way for them to be here. So it's, it's pretty cool to see that. Yeah, that's really cool. And yeah, there, I just finished Fly Girls Revolt. It's about how women broke into being combat pilots. And it's all the history of how, like, the opposition against women serving as fighter pilots and being in combat aircraft and how the law was finally changed. And it was interesting because while I was reading it, they kept saying, oh, we did a study, we did a study, and they kept asking for studies. And you know what? Every study said women can be fighter pilots, women can serve in combat, and then made so much more sense, like, why they did study after study after study and had women serving in combat overseas. And they were like, we still need a study. And I'm like, why do you need studies? And all of a sudden, I'm reading this book and learning about the history of, like, how women became fighter pilots and I was like oh this makes so much sense because they did the same thing when women went into combat roles and so it kind of made me feel a little bit better but I feel the same way as you do there's not enough information out there there's not enough people who know that women can even serve in combat roles that why the law was changed it wasn't just some crazy idea the military had 
I think that's really cool that you got to be a part of it and that you get to see the next generation of women serving in that role. So that's really cool. What was that like? Did you get a lot of opposition from male Marines in the Marine Corps while you were going through that? I've I talked to someone recently who said that they were, as that law was changing, they got a lot of opposition from the males that were in their unit. I know you were doing the experiment, so you were kind of like, but still you were being trained by males. Was this, there this, like, let's get you through it? Or is it, let's show people that it can't be done? So it was more so, there was a lot of positive. The leadership was very positive about it. I would say the most opposition that we got were from our peers because coming in, right, we had the females that volunteered were from different MOSs across the Marine Corps. So we're here to show that we could, you know, keep up, so to speak, with a male who had been doing this for, you know, 5, 10, 11 years. So it was just that disconnect of a, a lot of my peers, I would say, or the younger male Marines just didn't want us there because it was new. and we're worrying about things that are not really an issue. <laughs> it's, oh, they're women, they're, you know, sexual harassment is going to go out. And it's like, no, no, we, we have our own families. And a lot of us are married and are in relationships. Like we're here to do a mission. We're not, you know, here for anything else. Like we're Marines. So, um, but leadership was absolutely amazing from the CEO to all the senior leadership. They were, they were absolutely amazing and supportive. Yeah, I mean, that sounds exactly like what women faced as combat pilots. They were the same things that people would say, you know, sexual harassment or other things. And they were like, these aren't true. <laughs> and, you know, and they continually had to fight to make that change happen. And so kind of makes me want to write a book on like women becoming combat and combat MS MOSs or, you know, find someone who wants to write a book about that, because I think it would be so fascinating to hear all the stories because there's so many women who stepped up sometimes not even knowing it and made it so that women could serve in those roles. No, that's, that's true. That's a good point because, you know, I had more so positive, a few negative experiences, but there's some people who I would talk to in, you know, parallel platoons and they had a terrible time. So it would be really interesting to see just kind of what struggles certain people had to make a way for women in combat MOSs. Well, and all the branches have different parts of the story that made it happen. So it would just be really cool. So, yeah. I'm so glad we got to talk about that because that's one of the things I'm like super passionate about. So let's talk a little bit about your podcast and talk about what it's called and what your mission and focus is. Just being a female Marine, people are always fascinated and... A lot of people are just very surprised when they hear that, yeah, I'm a female Marine, you know, I've been in the Marine Corps for 15 years. The answer or the response I always get is, oh my goodness, how did you survive? How are you going so long? And I'm just thinking to myself, like, I know some amazing women who have done 30 plus years, you know, in the Marine Corps. And I don't necessarily think people focus on the positive when we're talking about female Marines in the Marine Corps. So I just want to showcase some awesome women who are Marines, because when we hear about female service members, the first thing, you know, no shade to the other services, but most women join the Air Force or the Army or the Navy. And the perception, at least from my perspective, is that female Marines are just miserable in the Marine Corps. And that's not necessarily the case, right? I, it's life. There's good and bad everywhere. But you know, I have been 
absolutely fortunate and blessed to have great leadership, great women who have helped guide me to, you know, where I am today. And we'll see what happens at 20. We may go further, but there's, there's just phenomenal women that I've had the privilege of working with. I feel like I had a very similar passion for when I started my podcast because I didn't feel like there were enough stories of just women in the military in general because there weren't any stories. You know, there was no platform that was specifically dedicated talking to women who served in the military. And I was I started hearing stories and I was like, people need to know these stories. And I mean, it's over 200 episodes now, and I still love getting to talk to women veterans, and I'm always learning something and always inspired, and so I think that's really cool that you're starting a podcast because I love when I get to talk to Marines. I don't have very many on the podcast, but there's not very many, (laughs) you know? You guys are very small, so. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's... Yeah, I mean, you're very inspiring, Amanda. And listening to your podcast, it's like, you know, there's a lot of military women and you always hear, like I said, it's always, you know, the Air Force or the Army, but it's like, yeah, like you said, you don't hear from very many Marines. But um, yeah, and I've been inspired by, you know, Theresa Carpenter. She's she's another fabulous lady who's doing amazing things. You know, Lieutenant Hall. I, I just love seeing women put in a positive light in the military. Yeah, Teresa was on the podcast, and I love watching her on LinkedIn. She's, like, always inspiring me with everything that she's posting. She's in England right now, so she keeps posting about, like, the coronation and, like, all the things happening in England, which is really cool. And, yeah, and I I think the people that I've met on the podcast who have become friends or LinkedIn connections that I'm connected with and I can reach out to help and get support is just what makes podcasting so special and why I continue to do it because I just love getting to meet all of you amazing ladies and become friends with you and see you at conferences and and just having our paths connected and so I'm really glad that we got to talk today and I always like to end the interview with what advice would you give to a young woman who's considering joining the military? It's great to get advice from other people, but your experience is going to be different. Um, Specifically, I'm talking about the Marine Corps, because I think a lot of people deter women from the Marine Corps because, you know, it's such a small percentage of women, but their experience is not your experience. So, you know, you could learn from someone else's experience, but you have to, if, if you really want to do something, you just have to go in there, take the good and the bad and make a decision for yourself. And, you know, if something bad happens, you learn from it, but you never know, like you could have a great career by just choosing to live your own path in the military. Yeah. And I think that's why I wrote A Girl's Guide to Military Service, because I wanted girls to have as much information as they could have going into the military, because I think the military has great options and there's great careers. But sometimes if you don't have all the information up front, you can make a decision that's not the best decision for you or just not be aware of like, you know, you when you, you talked about how you didn't really advocate for yourself when you had a newborn and you didn't know, you were just like, well, I guess it's my turn. And there's resources out there that can help you and other women. And so I feel like the more information you have up front, the better off you'll be. So thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. I really appreciate your time. And I'll put a link to your podcast in the show notes so people can find it. 
and just thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, Amanda. Um, yeah, I love what you're doing. So continue to do amazing things. And thank you for having me as a guest. Thanks so much for listening to this week's interview. I'm really thankful that you took the time to listen to this episode. And I wanted to tell you about two resources that may help you in your journey of military service. And so the first is my book, A Girl's Guide to Military Service. It's meant to help you answer all your questions about military life and give you a firm foundation for the start of your career. And if you're looking for mentorship or want to be a mentor, please check out the Women of the Military Mentorship Program. You can sign up to be a mentee or a mentor. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week.